we couldn't block off the Trevi Fountain to shoot our little Disney movies. Do you know how, how many fans are going crazy right now to hear that? In my mind, it's the perfect song for Lizzie. Just gotta know. I mean, the booty shake is that Hillary. <laughs> Hey, Team Duff, it's Wit. Thanks so much for listening to Duff Enough, the ultimate Hillary Duff fan podcast. This show is a celebration of the life and career of actress, singer, mother, and all-around icon, Hillary Duff. Well, hey now, hey now. This is a special episode of Duff Enough. It's my first guest interview, and I'm so excited to welcome to the show the director of the Lizzie McGuire movie. Jim Fall, thanks so much for being on Deaf Enough. It is my pleasure. I heard your uh, episode on on the Lizzie McGuire movie, and I thought, you know, these guys love the movie almost as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great to, you know, get a little message from you. It was a total surprise to, you know, get a message saying that you had listened to it and that you'd enjoyed it. So I'm really glad. My friend, Michael Lynn, who is on that episode, did want me to tell you hello. Uh, so, hello. Hello from Michael Lynn. And, and I'm glad you enjoyed that episode. But now here we are. You're on the show. And I think the fans are going to love this. So again, thank you. It's a total honor uh, to have you on. I'm excited to be here. Great. And before we get started, I do want to give a shout out to a fellow member of Team Duff, as we are called. Uh, His name is Neems, and he is the movie poster guy on social media. And you did an Instagram Live with him recently, so everyone should go check that out, too. It is great as well, and I think we're going to kind of expand on that a little bit for the podcast. Great. Yeah, that was fun to do. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And we're going to talk all about your experience directing this iconic movie, kind of pull the curtain back on some of the movie magic. So just a warning to anyone who didn't see that Instagram live, like you might you might be surprised to hear what what was real, what wasn't. So just just a <laughs> fair warning. I went back and watched the movie and it didn't change how I felt about anything. I will say that. <laughs> but yeah, are you ready to get started? Yeah, sure am. Well, to begin, I'd love to talk about, you know, how you got involved with this movie because Of course, I did a little bit of research, and prior to this, you were known for a hit R-rated indie film called Trick. And so to go from that to this big studio Disney family movie seems like an interesting match. I mean, what's the story of how you got the job? (laughs) Yeah, it. you know, I I had made a movie called Trick. It was an indie uh, gay romantic comedy with Tori Spelling. And we went to Sundance and it did really well. The movie, um, we sold right away and it it played all across the country that year. That was 1999, 2000. Um, And then, you know, I moved to L.A., And, you know, you get an agent and you try to find work, right? So I went on a lot of meetings for various movies. And then my agent sent me a script that was the Lizzie McGuire movie. And to be honest, at the time, I had no idea what Lizzie Lizzie McGuire was. I literally hadn't seen the show, Mm -hmm. didn't know anything about it. But I read the script and it it was funny. It was sweet. And it was basically you know, a romantic comedy class trip to Rome. It was funny. And I thought, I can do this. And, you know, back then, I think Hollywood was a little different. There were more jobs out there you could kind of go and meet on, just like take a general meeting, right? So I had gone in and luckily, uh, Doug Short, it was Karen, Karen Glass and Doug Short were the executives and Doug had seen Trick, really loved it. And I think Karen had too. And they basically told me that I was the most enthusiastic of all the people because I really did want to make this movie. So that's how I got the job. 
I was definitely curious about how familiar you were with Lizzie McGuire. You know, it was a it was a kids show, so you I wouldn't have expected you to have you know known that much, I guess. But how much research did you have to do? Did you like go back and watch the whole series? No, I didn't watch the whole series. I watched some of it to get the the flavor of it. But to be honest, Disney wanted the movie to be a movie. They didn't want it. They of course you needed to be true to the series. But at the same time, the reason they didn't hire one of the directors from the TV show is they wanted someone who wanted to really make this uh, an actual movie and not have it be have it feel too much like the TV show. But, you know, I inherited this wonderful cast and a lot of things that 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 came from the show, clearly. Yeah, Um I shot it widescreen. There's a real, it's a beautiful score written by Cliff Eidelman. I wanted a real score. You know, I wanted it to feel as substantial as possible because it, you know, we were shooting in Rome. I mean, I wanted this thing to look good. You know, I didn't, I didn't want it to look cheap and it wasn't. Oh no, it's beautiful. I'm not saying the TV show looked cheap, but you know what I'm saying? TV shows, especially in the nineties had a certain feel to them and and movies have a certain scope to them. So, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely get what you're saying. 100%. And so you were talking about, you know, you did inherit this this cast, but also I was wondering, and you mentioned some of the executives, like what writers and producers came over from the show to work on the movie? Well, you know, the original uh, uh, producer of from the TV show, Stan Rogow, uh, was one of the producers on the movie. Susan Estelle Jansen wrote the original draft, and then Ed Dechter and John Strauss wrote a draft after that, and Terry Minsky was also involved in writing it. So Terry was obviously involved in the TV show. I'm not sure if Susan was, to be honest. You might know that. Um, I think she was, yeah. Yeah, I guess she was. <laughs> um, but see, I, I, I didn't really know the TV show. So so that's really the only people that came over from the TV show other than the cast that, you know, the, the original characters that we used. Gotcha. Right. And can you talk a little bit about that element as far as, you know, casting goes for this movie? You had some characters who were already established from the show and you brought in new characters. So talk a little bit about that unique element. Well, I mean, it's kind of a, in a way, it's it's kind of a joy to just inherit a bunch of really wonderful actors who already know their parts and know, you know what I mean? You're not creating something from scratch. So in some ways, that was a shorthand, um, especially with Hillary. I mean, she, you know, was only 15 when we shot it. And she was amazing. I mean, she was she was such a professional. She knew her lines. She was never late. One of the one of the things I I love though was casting the other roles uh, with uh, Alex Borstein, especially. She um, I had known her a little bit from Mad TV, but uh, my casting director Robin uh, Lippin, she was uh, amazing, and she kept pushing for Alex. I'm like, I love Alex. She's great. Let's do it. Also, Brendan Kelly, who played who played a uh, you know the bodyguard. He he was on he was on Oz and played this really tough guy yeah. on that TV show. And then uh, and Yanni Gelman, who I love, he was wonderful. Uh, nice Jewish boy from Canada. We we cast him in um, I guess it was Toronto. He had come in and auditioned, and and he was great. Yeah, so the cast came together really well. Well, you mentioned the auditions. Now I'm wondering, are there any other like big name stars who auditioned for this movie that we might know? There really is. Um, before. Alex Borstein, or around the same time, Ellen DeGeneres, she didn't audition for me because, you know, she was a well-known person. Oh, this was before... The talk show. Yeah, before her talk show, but after she'd come out as gay. Right. So a little bit of an odd time in her career where I think they were trying to find what her next thing would be. I don't know what the reason was. I remember thinking that she wouldn't have been a bad choice, that she could have done that role too. It would have been completely different, but she would have been funny in her own 
Ellen DeGeneres way, you know. Yeah. I honestly don't remember except Alex won the role fair and square because she was she was the best choice. So you were talking a little bit about working with Hillary, and because this is the ultimate Hillary Duff fan podcast, when did you first meet her, and like, what was your first impression? We I met her and her mom at a Starbucks in like near Santa Monica, and uh, she was just sweet and great, exactly like you'd think she'd be. The funny thing she said though, because I guess obviously she'd read the script, but she said, "Um, I, I don't have to kiss Gordo, do I?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you kind of do." You kind of do. That's how it ends. So uh, she may have been a little reticent to, to, but you know, I think it's because they were friends and they've known each other for so long that, you know, she wasn't really being serious. She was just joking around. Do you know how how many fans are going crazy right now to hear that? That's so good. (laughs) That's such a great little memory. I know. I mean, she was saying it in a sweet way, like, I don't have to kiss him, do I? I'm like, yeah, you kind of do. You kind of do. And you know, what's sweet about what's in the movie is I didn't, of course, belabor the moment when they kissed. In fact, we rehearsed the scene, but I always stopped before they kissed. So the actual kiss you're seeing on screen is the first time they actually kissed. Wow. So it's really kind of special. And they did a beautiful job. I thought they did a wonderful job, both of them. Oh, they did. They did. And fans are going to want to know about working with the rest of the cast, too. So Adam Lamberg, Ashley Brio, some of the other originals there. Great experience with them, too. It's like boring to just keep saying that everybody was great, but they really were. I think they were all so excited to be making a movie and and to be going to Rome and, and for this to be continuing. It may have been a little frustrating for some of the adults. I remember when we were shooting and it was Robert Carradine's first day on the set. I, I, I didn't hear it directly, but he seemed to think we were going slowly and he was getting he was getting a little annoyed with it when actors are so used to the much faster pace of a TV show where you're shooting 10 or 15 pages of a script, you know, a day because you're on very simple sets that are all right there and accessible as opposed to a movie that has a big, lots of moving parts. You know, I think his his first day may have frustrated him a little bit because he thought we were going slow, but we weren't, we shoved, we shoved a lot of movie in for the amount of time we had to shoot it. Well, another major factor of this movie is is Rome and shooting a good bit of that on location in Rome. Uh, what research did you do to prepare for that? Well, I mean, I had never been to Rome, although what you do with any movie that shoots on a location is you go on a location scout. So I went with my cinematographer and my production designer and one of my producers, David Russell, and we would just, we picked, basically we picked all the locations. I found everything and, you know, to make sure we could actually shoot in all these places. And so that was really the research was, but nothing is more fun though than doing a location scout in Rome because you you hire these people to take you all around this amazing city and show you everything. It's like everything you would hope you could do on a vacation, but would never have time to do, you know? Yeah. So all the everything you see in the movie was all picked ahead of time. But I had never, no, you know what? I had been to Rome once before. I always forget this, but Trick, my first movie at a Italian premiere and the uh, distributor flew me to Rome uh, that was, I guess, three years earlier. So I had been to Rome briefly once before. Nice. Have you been back since Lizzie? Sadly, no. But I, I, I live vicariously so all, through all the uh, the sweet videos I see of people going there and doing the Lizzie McGuire tour. It's like, that's really cool. That's like my dream. So one day, one day. One day. Yeah. Um, okay. And then production. What was kind of the timeline for production exactly? I mean, the movie came out May 2nd, 2003. Uh, So when was this all shot and done? Well, what we did was every exterior 
uh, for the most part, let me think, every single thing that's outside is Rome, and then everything that's inside is uh, sets built in Vancouver. So so the sets were being built while we were shooting in Rome. We came back and the sets were done, including the whole stage scene that's supposed to be in the Coliseum. Yeah, so, so it was, uh, it was, we were shooting the month of October in Rome. So we came back, I believe, mid-November. Uh, yeah, most of November was uh, was shooting all uh, in Vancouver, all the interiors. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that really speaks to the designers who you know built those sets because wow, I mean that hotel, I never would have known that. I mean that's insane. It's beautiful. My production designer did this beautiful job with that hotel. It, it, it's almost too beautiful. It's like literally they could never have afforded to stay in a place that beautiful. But uh, Doug Higgins uh, designed the thing. And when I saw that plans, I'm like, you know, Doug, this is beautiful. This is a wish fulfillment movie. Let's just, let's just go with it. I mean, in reality, it would have been like a beaten down, you know, you know, youth hostel probably. Yeah. But it's this glamorous five-star looking hotel. And it's all a set. All that marble is painted wood. It's like, it's beautiful. Wow. And then talk a little bit about your responsibilities as, as the director for the movie. Yeah, you know, a director is responsible for pretty much everything. And at the same time, a movie is a complete collaboration. So as a director, you hire all the creative people along with your producers too, because the people with the money have to agree. But if your producers are supporting you, in this case, they were. Disney was very much behind me, and I had a really wonderful uh, executive producer named David Rossell. If you hire all the all the right people, your job gets easy because then your job is as a director is to tell the story, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's mainly my job to make sure the script is making sense and that the actors are performing the scenes in an effective way. I mean, it's really that simple. Yeah, and this was two thousand two, kind of the uh, before digital had really gone into effect. So this was you know shot single cam 35 millimeter right totally we shot film uh super 35 and it was all film this was all pre-digital although they were effect the effects in it had some digital there were digital effects what was your let me pick your brain a little bit what was your approach to kind of directing this and are there any movies that you know inspired how you made the film stylistically I can't really point a finger at any movie that I was emulating in any way. I mean, to be honest, I think anytime I make a movie, I just try to keep the humor going, but and try to keep it. And this maybe sounds a little crazy, considering how how, how sometimes outlandish the movie could be. But I try to keep the situations as grounded as possible in the reality of the movie itself. Right. So yeah. making sure the tone of the movie is consistent and. I wasn't making Lizzie McGuire, the Lizzie McGuire movie for kids. I was making the movie for me. Like that movie makes me smile and makes me laugh. And I love the music. I loved everything in the movie. I wasn't like trying to make like, I don't know, like, you know, slumming it and making a kid's movie. I just made a movie. I wasn't, I wasn't, I I don't know. I don't know how other directors work, but I, I work to entertain myself. So every movie I've made, I've, I've enjoyed because it's the tone and the the humor that I love. Awesome. Well, what would you say were the challenges of shooting in the middle of some of these tourist destinations? Because, I mean, wow, that had to have been a lot. It was crazy. I mean, I don't know if if you go to my Instagram, I posted a whole ton of pictures from my my collection, and it reminded me how crazy it actually was. And, uh, for instance, when we shot at the Trevi Fountain, 
you know, we had maybe 20 or so extras, but most of the people were just tourists. We couldn't block off the Trevi Fountain to shoot our our little Disney movie. So, uh, and the same with the Spanish Steps when Lizzie sees the bus and does the cartwheel. Like so much of the crowd, and not most of the crowd doesn't end up in the movie really, but when you see the behind the scenes pictures, it's, it's just throngs of people that we were swimming through to get the movie shot yeah yeah so it was fun though i mean i can say it was fun i'm sure my assistant directors and uh, did not have a fun time trying to wrangle all of that but believe it or not the um open your eyes to love sequence when they get to the place where the fireworks are was pretty complicated despite it being relatively simple because you know, we were shooting off fireworks in the middle of Rome and that was a whole thing and it was hard to organize all that. And most of the close-ups in that scene when they're looking at each other, we shot that later in Vancouver in a studio. Interesting. When they run into that space outside where the fireworks are going off, that's Rome. But when he takes her hand and when they look at each other and he says, you know, she's beautiful. That is actually in Vancouver. But then the shot where the camera's rising up above them is Rome. There's like tons of things like that where it's Rome, Vancouver, Rome, Vancouver. Like for instance, in the sequence where they're, where uh, Gordo's racing home on the bus and the bus interior we shot in Vancouver, but his point of view of the Vespa driving by out the window is Rome. So within scenes, it goes back and forth. What about the red carpet walking into the Coliseum? Was that outside the Coliseum? That was at the Coliseum. We act, well, actually, anything looking away from the Coliseum, we shot in Rome, but not in front of the Coliseum. But the Coliseum in the shot is the Coliseum. Okay. Oh, and you mentioned the Vespa. I mean, that's such an iconic scene. I would love to just hear about shooting that. I mean, as they're taking off and, go, and going through Rome there. That's a combination of stunt drivers and Hillary and Yanni on the back of a, what's um, like a, it's a, a vehicle that's being towed. Like they have the Vespa sitting on a little trailer and it's being towed, you know, obviously. So sometimes there's one shot of Hillary on the back. You see her drive by and she kind of smiles at the camera, but pretty much every time you don't see their faces and you just see their helmets on, it's not them because it's, you know, we can't, we, yeah, we dangerous. Can't <laughs> right. And do you have a favorite scene that you that you shot on the movie? I think probably my favorite scene is when he's teaching her to lip sync in the empty theater. I just love the song and I love the ballad version of the song. And then I love that it sort of switches into that little dance montage. That whole little sequence in that theater that was in Vancouver also, actually. Right. I, I don't know. I just think that sequence is really sweet and the song is pretty. And I, that was that's, I guess that's probably my favorite sequence. Moving on to the movie magic here. Mm-hmm. Just got to know. I mean, the booty shake is that Hillary. <laughs> well, I mean, the the frustrating thing was just the fact that she was 15 and there are certain labor laws. You can't have an actor that young in front of the camera very long. And when you're making a movie, unlike a TV show, you know, you've got long days in Rome where we just would we'd be rushing to shoot her close ups. And then we couldn't afford to, to shoot like her without her face. We only had a couple hours a day we could have her. Um, because of time, it's not because like Hillary couldn't do it. It's like, right. again, when you're shooting a huge dance number that takes forever, we couldn't afford to, to use her that way. So pretty much any time you see her back or her butt, 
or her feet or or the back of her head, it's not her because we just couldn't we couldn't have made the movie. You know, she's in every shot. So yeah. Um. So yeah, the 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 booty the booty shot uh, is not her. Is not Aww. her. Well, childhood ruined. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> also, doubling up on Hillary for Lizzie and Isabella. Can you talk a little bit about how that worked? Yeah, I mean, it was just a given conceit of the movie that it was always going to be a double. She was going to play a double role. So it was just we went into it knowing that, that that's what was going to happen. Um, I remember one of the first things we did was before we did anything, before we went to Rome, is we did the photo shoot for Isabella and Paolo. And they had put hillary in this dark wig and i remember seeing it for the first time going whoa she looks really good this this Mm -hmm. dark wig on her like totally transforms her face and actually makes her look even a little more mature and so that was just exciting because oh good this is going to like really feel kind of cool that she really does look different yeah the challenge back then was shooting the two of them performing together and coming up with ways of cheating it because we didn't really have enough uh, a budget to do like a lot of visual effects of have, having them on stage literally next to each other all the time, you know? And when Isabel is leaving the stage and she turns around and goes, go back out and you see the back of Lizzie. That's not Lizzie and vice versa. Like we flipped it each time. If, and there's only a few shots that they're in together that we did digitally, the two where they have their hands up. But if you notice, I have their hands out of frame because I didn't want to have to deal with digital hands. You know what I mean? That would have been really yeah. hard to do, especially back in 2002 on this budget. So I, I cleverly storyboarded it so it would cheat around those things and you would hopefully not. And like the wide shot, the big, big wide shot when they're both on stage and they bow, um, I don't think either of them is actually Hillary. Even there was one, I remember one uh, script uh, meeting where I think some of the writers were a little pissed that I wanted Isabella to leave so that Hillary uh, Lizzie could have her moment by herself, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted that Hillary and Isabella to perform together the whole time. And, uh, you know, for two reasons, I didn't want to do it. One, it would be really hard to shoot and it would it would make it, I think, not as effective because I wouldn't be able to shoot them together very much. Yeah. And secondly, it's it's Lizzie's movie. You know, Lizzie needs to shine at the end on her own. You know, she's the one who needs to be the star at the end. And and I'm glad I kind of uh, put my foot down on that idea because it um it works. Yeah. Well, there's one cast member who we have not talked about, and I'm sure she was a total diva. Animated Lizzie. <laughs> I mean, what was it like shooting for that? And and how was it seeing the animated Lizzie come together at the end? At first, it was a little frustrating for me because my first instinct was I, I wasn't sure we needed it. Like, why do we need this thing that, you know, again, this is maybe coming from not really having embraced the tradition of the show. So it wasn't, you know, I'm glad we kept it, obviously. And we would not have been able to cut it because it was part of the deal. But then the challenge became to make sure that animated Lizzie wasn't just redundant. So I worked very specifically with the animators to make sure that all the moments for animated Lizzie were, you know, justified. And then, of course, on the set, we had to shoot the background shots. So all the all the th- things that the, uh, you know, the background images that um, Animated Lizzie is performing in front of, we shot on film also. So that, you know, that took a little bit of time every time. And we had to make sure we had the the right images for that. So 
ultimately, I think it worked out great. And one of the moments I'm really proud of is the very last one, where, she, where animated Lizzie is Tinkerbell. Yes. Love it. Yes. That was my idea. The soundtrack, top 10, double platinum. double platinum. It's on vinyl now. And I mean, I remember going to the store and buying this CD and wow, so many memories. It's insane. But I just think it's fascinating that you had some input. That's pretty much what any director would have, depending on their interest in music or not. You know, I had um, most movies have what's called a music uh, supervisor. And and mine was a man named Elliot Lurie, who... Uh, was wonderful. And he was also a performer in his own right. This is way before your time, but he was the lead singer of a group called Looking Glass. And do you know that song, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl? I do not. It's it's old. It's way before you were born. He was like a one-hit wonder back. Anyway, he was the music supervisor. But music is very important to me. So a lot of the songs, like the Dean Martin song I wanted, I, I found that song. Valare was one I wanted re-recorded, What Dreams Are Made Of, I had brought in... Um, because, you know, who wrote the song? My, my Dean Pitchford, who wrote Footloose and a ton of other, like, and Fame and all, and co-wrote all these songs that you've known, you know, for, for generations. He had become a friend recently around that time, and I had asked him to do the big finale song for Lizzie. It didn't really go over that well at first. Like, I'm not sure. I, I remember overhearing, I think, Hillary's mom talking to the music people, and they were all kind of like, oh, I don't know if we like this song. And... I don't know if it's Hillary's style. And I think they were trying to make her stuff more, you know, a little edgier, a little more rock. And this mm-hmm. was a, a, more of a tuneful dance, Euro disco-y kind of thing. And so, you know, in my mind, it's the perfect song for Lizzie. In their minds, it wasn't a Hillary song. So luckily, Dean Pitchard got down on the mat for it or whatever and and got them to... Yeah, uh, they fought for it. Yeah, they fought for it. And, and so did I. And I'm glad because I, I love that song. Hillary has a couple of movies where her voice is mixed because, you know, the fans, we love her voice, but she's not Mariah Carey and we're cool with that. But we were <laughs> we were discussing like her voice sounds a little mixed there. And my theory was they wanted like a fuller voice, you know, in the theater. I mean, do you know anything about that? Honestly, and I'm not avoiding the subject. I really don't, because what happens is. You know, I would tell them what I needed for that song and they would go away and record it. And I was not at her recording sessions. So I did not see or hear whatever, you know, happened or didn't happen. Anybody's voice nowadays is completely augmented, you know, digitally. So it's, you know, it's not, she's not the only one if that did happen. But it is a different mix than the album version because like I wanted it to sound more live now I, I don't know i mean i honestly i honestly don't know okay because <laughs> i didn't see it happen but, and and also you know this was before hillary's singing career even took off in her music career really it was i think although i think her first album had already come out she had a christmas album was that the only one yeah metamorphosis came out in august of 2003 so huh. it was a little after one one weird disappointment though was rupaul's uh supermodel song is playing but it's not rupaul singing it's taylor dane and taylor dane's amazing and i I think it's it's certainly a fun remake of the song but you know it was a little frustrating that disney would not allow me to use rupaul's version because this was Mm. before rupaul was a household name and you know she was a drag queen and i think disney was just not going to have a drag queen's song in the movie so i remember like really we have to re-record it that was a little lame. odd, a little lame to me, a little like, mm, okay, all right. 
What's your favorite outfit that she wears in that runway montage? <laughs> well, it's got it's got to be the, the blow up dress. I mean, I, 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 David Robinson, who who designed those amazing dresses. Now that's that's an example of where I did not tell David go and make an igloo dress. He, knowing that we had to come up with these amazing but wacky dresses for her to parade down, at least three or four of them, he literally created all that amazing madness on his own bought that blow-up igloo dress off of some website and and put that dress together himself with his assistance, I'm assuming, but he designed all that stuff. I, In fact, I just recently asked David, I said, David, do you have any idea where that blow-up dress ended up? Like, did you keep it? Do you have it? Like, what? where is it? I mean, it's, it's almost, what, six, 17 years ago. And he said, no, I don't know. It's, he said it's probably like folded up in some box in, Dis- in Disney archives someplace, or who knows, it may have been thrown out. But that's probably my favorite. I mean, that's hands down my favorite outfit. Although the two at the end, you know, the, the ripaway dress, that was something I did request to David, who designed that. I said, the one thing I want is just when she comes down at this one point in the song, I wanted to rip away her dress and be able to, like, you know, still be in a new outfit. So he created that that ripaway thing, which was... Um, that was a moment. That was a moment. Yeah, it was. Moment. It was. <laughs> Now I'm thinking of things like a lot of it had to do with music. Like when um, the tide is high, right? That song I picked. And while I was in Rome, I, I was watching the TV in the morning when I was getting up to go to the set. And Atomic Kitten already had a video on and I fell in love with it. It turns out the tide is high also had some lyrics in it that were a little um, risque. So mm. if you play the original Atomic Kitten version versus the one that's on the Disney album, there are some lyric changes. Gotcha. Um, Valare is Italian. I love Valare. That's a, that's an old song that's been done a hundred times. And so they went away and produced this really fun version of Valare, right? But it was with a, a studio singer and I loved it. But then they wanted to uh, have it re-recorded with Vitamin C for the actual soundtrack, right? And Vitamin C's version is great. It's on the album. But to be honest, I fell in love with the original demo that they gave me. So in the movie, it's not vitamin C singing it. It's a different really? version than what's on the album because vitamin C is on the, so that was a compromise. They said, okay, well you can have the demo version for the movie, but vitamin C is on the album. I said, fine. And that's the same with what dreams are made of, you know, the version in the movie, mm-hmm. they had produced that really fun pop version of the song for the album, but it didn't sound like she was singing it live. I wanted a live version that had, you know, sto- soaring strings and, have it feel more like it's a live recording. So that's why there's two different versions of that also. Open Your Eyes to Love was also mine because my friend David Friedman wrote it and David did the score for my first movie, Trick. So I wanted him to write a song for this movie and he did. So he wrote that song. And the rest of the songs are songs that like the music supervisor will play me a song. Like, how about this song? What about this song? And so uh, it's a collaboration between him bringing me stuff and me bringing him stuff. And uh, that's how it came together. Well, it worked. <laughs> Two million copies sold, so that's great. It really is a fun soundtrack. I'm so happy it did so well. It's it's fun. Rumors about this movie. Oh, dear. If, if you can address here, if Haley Duff provided the singing voice for Isabella, because on the soundtrack, it just says Paolo and Isabella for like the ballad version. Can you confirm? Do you know that for sure if it was her? If You know, it's funny as I worked with Haley. I made a Christmas movie called Holiday Engagement. Uh, 10 years ago and Haley Love was that. there and, and she's a sweetheart and she's great. 
from what I understand, and you'd think I would know this, but again, the music was a little bit of a mystery because it would be produced and then brought to me, is I'm pretty sure Haley is singing in What Dreams Are Made Of. I think she's the other voice, but uh, uh, in the finale. But I think the ballad version is a studio singer and not Haley. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's Haley. So I think it's yet another, like I said about Valari, the woman who's singing that is some German session singer that, you know, she did her the demo and was paid. And, you know, these singers do these things and get paid. And then somewhere some woman is like, I was the voice of Isabella and nobody knows. Exactly. Exactly. Same for Paolo, too. Yeah. Another kind of rumor slash controversial issue with the movie Everybody always wants to know, where was Miranda? Which, you know, assuming the script was already done when you, you got the movie, you really didn't have any control over that. But Lelaine, I mean, she has said that she was shooting You Wish. Do you know anything about that? Because I'm sure you've heard through the years, like, Miranda was not in this movie. Well, definitely. But, you know, from what I understand, and you, you guys can tell me this, Miranda wasn't in the last episodes of the TV show either. Correct, yeah. So she was already out of the out of the picture for whatever reasons, which I don't really know. I mean, I just recently saw where they did a a, um, a Zoom reading of a Lizzie McGuire TV show script, right? And mm-hmm. and, uh, and she was on the reading. So I, I'm assuming everything's fine now. <laughs> you know, don't quote me on this because I really don't know. I thought there was some misunderstanding or something on the set where, where Maria, I don't, you know what? I honestly don't know. I only heard rumors and they didn't really tell me much. And it was already written out of the script. So, um, I mean, I wish I knew. I think there were politics, and I, I, but I just don't know. I wasn't privy to any of that, and that all happened before I got involved. So, Gotcha. Right, right, right. Well, just wanted to ask. Sure. And then this is another strange one, too, that I thought of. But one thing that we've heard about this potential reboot is that Lizzie has moved to New York, but she's going to go back to live at home in Los Angeles. And the show, fans have wondered about that because the show never really addressed where they lived. So did you know if they, you know, when Lizzie was leaving the airport, if she was supposed to be leaving LA or just anywhere? They never told me what city it was. And they kind of implied that it was just never really established. No, that was not ever, that was never discussed. And because so little time was spent, you know, there anyway in this movie that it didn't really matter. You know, I know it's probably a little frustrating to Lizzie McGuire purists that the um, the kitchen was different and the bedrooms were different and new sets had to be built and that's just mm-hmm. you know, that's just the way it was. I said something about that on the podcast and then when you told me that you'd listen to it, I was like, oh no, I like called them out for that. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, I, I, I again, I, I knew for well that it was not going to be exactly what the TV show was. But um, I think the kitchen was try. They were trying to dress the kitchen to look a little bit like it's like there's dishes, the plates that yeah. that supposedly is a holdover from the TV show. They were trying to at least you know uh, honor it in some way. And then the last like rumor I wanted to ask about, you know, there's always been a lot of talk about there was going to be a TV series after the movie where she goes to high school. And then there there have been rumors about a Liz McGuire movie, too. Uh, did you ever hear anything about that talk for a, a sequel to the movie? Well, I did. I mean, the, it was actually in the trades. I mean, there was a, it was announced that there was going to be a sequel to the Lizzie McGuire movie pretty much right away. And well, first of all, it wouldn't have necessarily meant I would have been involved at all because they tend to, you know, move on and hire right. some new people. You know, what I mean, but I, I just think negotiations with with Hillary and Disney fell through, and I think Hillary was 
ready to move on. Like, I think mm-hmm. she wanted to, you know, yeah. not be Lizzie McGuire her whole life. So I think that was probably a big part of it, where she just didn't necessarily, wasn't thrilled to do another one. Yeah, that's what we've always heard, too. Yeah, they couldn't, I think they couldn't agree contractually on what, you know, what would work for her. And her, so I think it just fell apart. Yeah. Okay, we're done with the rumors. Thank you for addressing them. <laughs> so as far as the film's release, what do you, what memories do you have about the premiere? It was at El Capitan? Yeah, it was at the El Capitan here in Hollywood. Big, beautiful theater. Um, I remember it as a big blur because it was so exciting, but also just insane because, you know, it was only my second movie and it was a Disney movie and my name was on it. I directed it and and it was a, the Disney logo came up. It was, the whole thing was just kind of mind-blowing to me and all these people came like penny marshall and jane seymour and i on and on all these like hollywood people were there and i think it was actually you know like i said robert carradine was not particularly thrilled with me at first on the set because he thought things were going slow but then when they came and saw the finished movie i think they were blown away and he he actually came up to me and said you know that the movie was wonderful and that was nice happy ending love that i also remember before right before the premiere though what was really cool was they had a test screening on the Disney lot, you know, where they just want to see if the kids like the movie. And the head of Disney was there and everybody was there. And I didn't sit through the movie then, but, um, and they all came out and they were like, this movie has tested through the roof. It was a 96. Then they said, none of our movies ever test at 96. <laughs> so they knew that the movie for its core audience, you know, they made the right movie you know so that was that was really satisfying to know that um yeah but it was it was thrilling of course it was thrilling and i have a i have a bit of a not a sad memory but i remember when you know movies eventually run their course and there is there's a time when your movie is playing at the last theater (laughs) for the last time in some mall somewhere right you know yeah so i kept track of when the movie was playing and i remember driving out to some strip mall in the bowels of the valley because Lizzie McGuire was the last theater that had the movie still playing. And I just wanted to see it one more time in the theater on its first run. And so there's me, me, this guy, this man, right? And then I think there's like one family and a couple of like young girls. And so it must've looked like, okay, who's this weirdo here at a kid's movie by himself? But uh, I got to see the movie like one more time in the theater. And that was, you know, it was kind of special. Yeah, it was a huge hit. I mean, $55 million at the box office. Debuted second place at the box office behind the X-Men sequel. That was exciting. I know. You know, what was funny is um, that weekend we opened, uh, I was sitting in a coffee bean and tea leaf on Santa Monica Boulevard. And who walks in but Brian Singer? who directed X-Men too. So his movie was number one and mine was number two. And we're sitting there and I, (laughs) I wish I had gotten up and just said, you know, comically, I wish I had said, you know, damn it. If your movie hadn't opened, my movie would have been number one. Hmm. I didn't say it. Just life after Lizzie, you know, do you keep in (laughs) touch with any of the, the cast and crew? Alex Borsi and I stayed in touch for a while, but you know, people, people drift apart and do their thing and Emmy winner. Oh yeah. Now, I mean, it's amazing. I'm so happy for her. She's always good in everything she does. And it's just so great to see her getting the accolades that she deserves. But yeah, like my producer, David Rossell, who was amazing. I, we, we, we've stayed in touch this whole time and hang out. Um, my cinematographer, Yerji, we've, we've stayed in touch. 
Um, Margie, Margie Goodspeed, my editor, edited uh, three other movies of mine afterwards. So she's like, so yeah, a lot of my crew I've I've stayed in touch with, and I always realize when I when I post something on Facebook, there's so many more people I than I remember that I have to tag, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm in touch with all these people. They all love the movie too. They're all really proud of the movie and love it. Awesome, awesome. Do you have any memorabilia from the set? Not from the set. I have what I have, which I think is a little bit rare. Although I've seen another one on eBay, is at the premiere. They took a big group picture and everybody signed it, um, including Hillary. And it's a frame. So I have a framed, that framed picture. I also have the uh, double platinum plaque with the CDs. They, they gave me that. Nice. Have you followed Hillary's career? I, I guess I did. Yeah. I mean, then there were some years where she kind of, I guess, wasn't acting for a while and was being around. So, I, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I didn't like, you know, I wasn't like, avidly following her every move but like um, us (laughs) exactly but i've been aware of everything she's done i'm I'm so glad she's on was on that show younger and yeah that kind of brought her back in a big way and that's really great did you see where hillary showed her kids the lizzie mcguire movie for the first time i did that was so sweet i did see that it warmed my heart yep same and it's disappointing i hope to i hope to reboot of the series happened. It has nothing to do with me. You know, it would, it would be nice. I would love to, maybe it's, if it's up and running someday, direct an episode or two, but yes. years ago, maybe five years ago, remember um, calling up my, my executive who had hired me and said, you know, there should be a sequel to the movie. I was thinking more in terms of a movie sequel where they all go on another adventure, but as adults this time, like they all meet for some anniversary or something, right? And they're in some other big city and comedy and adventure ensues, right? So that that personally is what I'd rather see, but how could you ignore it? Like, how could you ignore the movie and not acknowledge what had happened? I think they will, hopefully. Well, and as we wrap up here, I want to talk about you know, all these years later, seeing how much it has just impacted our lives. I mean, what what do you make of of the lasting impact? You, you know, it's almost like I, <laughs> that's why I loved your podcast, and uh, I love hearing now how important the movie was to all of you because I had no idea that it would have been, you know, such an important thing to so many people, and and for people to still be loving it and still be referencing it now, you know, seventeen years later, eighteen years later. You know, I'd like to ask you, like, why do you think it has <laughs> stayed stayed with your generation this long? I, 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 I'd like to know that that question. It was just this event that we all experienced together, which was this show that we love is now going to the theaters. It had not happened. I mean, this had not happened for Disney Channel before. And we all had this shared experience of going to see it, being excited about it, and I think sometimes I'll get emotional watching it. I'm like, what is, why am I getting emotional? Why, how do I have such a deep connection to this that it makes me so emotional? But it was just so exciting, you know, as a nine-year-old um, to to have that experience of going to see that movie and then it being great. I mean, it, it lived up to all of the expectations and it was fantastic. And there's just so many memories and nostalgia wrapped around it. Um, so it's a great movie, but there's just also so much of an emotional connection from when we were kids and we all had that shared experience and now we uh, we talk about it and we do quote it and uh, the podcast we mentioned where there was a night in college where we all just watched it together and it was great and a couple years ago for the 15th anniversary my friends and I we went out and had ice cream and celebrated the 15th anniversary of Liz McGuire movie so I think it's it's a combo of a great you know family film and 
that shared experience and the nostalgia. So, well, it, it does. I mean, I think you explained it really well. And it, you know, it again, I keep saying it warms my heart. It warms my heart. But I'm a movie fan too, of course. So when I think back on the movies that I loved, that I saw when I was 10 or 12 or whatever, that's like, that's the sweet spot when you're young and those movies really matter to you. And you're, you're, you know, and, and what I guess I'm proudest of is that I tried my best with what I was given to make the Lizzie McGuire movie as good as it could possibly be. You know what I mean? As opposed yeah, yeah. to just phoning it in, like, uh, you know, and someone else could have just phoned it in. And we've all seen bad kids movies that are just empty and, you know, they're fine, but you forget them the second it's done. But I, I wanted this thing to at least be as good as it could be. You know, sure, you can poke holes in some of the logic <laughs> of the story, but it's a, it's a sweet story, you know, well told. The Lizzie McGuire movie was an amazing experience. And in, in almost the same way, my first movie was just with a lot more money and I got to go to Rome. <laughs> yeah. it, was an, it was a lesson in, you know, listening to your instincts. I mean, my first movie taught me my instincts are good. This is good. So with the Lizzie McGuire movie, I'm like, I'm sticking to my, I'm sticking to my guns and I want, I want to make this movie the way I want to make this movie. And like I said, and now all these years later, it makes me so happy that all these decisions I made 17 years ago, you know, are still resonating. So it's kind of, it was a lesson in believing in myself, just like, just like Lizzie at the end of the movie, you know, singing it, singing alone on stage. It's like, mm full circle love it love it all right and as we wrap up here jim it would be great to hear about any other projects you want to tell fans to check out and also plug your social media well sure my i'm not i'm not a huge presence on the social meds but <laughs> i'm on i'm on the facebook you can find me just under my name jim fall it's a public account you can you can find me easily there if you want to say hi i'm also on instagram i think it's jim fall films uh you'll see a slew of a Lizzie McGuire movie behind the scenes exclusive photos that I, I, I posted just uh, last month. Uh, if you want to see Haley, uh, she's got a part in my movie Holiday Engagement with Shelley Long that I made 10 years ago. It's on TV every, every. Uh, it's, it's kind of a Thanksgiving movie more than a Christmas movie. So Hallmark plays it first uh, in November. So it'll be on TV again, but it's on Netflix. And um, so there's that. There's a sweet Christmas movie called Holly's Holiday I made. Another movie, it's on Amazon. It's called Wedding Wars with John Stamos and uh, James Brolin. Nice. And I'm making, um, I'm making a sequel to my first movie, Trick, that we'll hopefully be ah. shooting as soon as we can go back to shooting. We can only hope for a Lizzie McGuire sequel as well. Well, that would be nice. Yeah. Well, Jim, this has just been a total honor. And I definitely want to say on behalf of you know Team Duff and the certain age group of my generation just thank you for making this movie and you know making such a special memory for us in our childhood and yeah thanks for being on deaf enough well thank you for having me i like i said when i listened to your uh, lizzie mcguire movie podcast i'm like ah all right we've got to talk definitely definitely all <laughs> right well it was so great to talk to you thanks jim thank you and that's all for this episode of Duff Enough. Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll subscribe and stick around for more because this podcast is what dreams are made of. You can follow along on social media at Duff Enough Pod and check the description for my socials as well as show guests. And until next time, bye Team Duff!
there's so many great one-liners. Do you have a favorite quote that people always say from the movie? I would not. I wouldn't have anticipated that "Sing to Me, Paolo" would become such a um, sort of iconic meme and saying. I I didn't see that coming. I think that's hilarious that that kind of caught on as like the thing. But the thing that makes me giggle is mostly Miss Ungermeyer's lines and asides because she some of them she ad-libs some of them were just her silly things she was saying on the set that we kept in like even when she's walking away and goes you know the audience said a seat looking neat and junk in a trunk she says junk in <laughs> and you know and Disney didn't bat an eye we left it we left it in I thought for sure they would t- ask me to cut it and they didn't. And then that, even when she's looking at um, Sergey, and she goes, "You want a piece of that? You want a piece of the younger Meyer?" And she slaps her ass. She slaps uh-huh. her ass. Oh, I've picked up on little things from Miss Ungermeyer over the years. I think most recently I noticed where when she's like leaving Lizzie's room with the doctor for the first time, she's like, "I have a boil. I want to ask you about or something." <laughs> 